So I'm going to um, actually read the scripture passage that we'll be looking at today from Job. And as it comes up, again, uh, the book of Job is what many scholars believe to be the oldest book in the Bible. It is um, actually a poem that is written. And it gets at something that all of us in our own lives experience. It gets into all of our experiences, which is the place of suffering and, um, and our journey through that and how we journey through that and what that... Um, what that looks like. Uh, today, uh, you are, are blessed. Um, uh, I'm not preaching today, and so you're welcome for that. Uh, Whitney Bell is going to be preaching today. Whitney, if you don't know Whitney, is our middle school director. She is someone that for over three years now I have enjoyed uh, learning from. She is an exceptionally gifted leader, and she is a very gifted communicator. And so um, it is sort of fun if you know Whitney. If you have any experience with Whitney, uh, that when we put this summer series together to imagine Whitney Bell, who's one of the peppier people that you're going to meet, <laughs> preaching on the book of Job. Um, or as we've said in our, our household, it's like, I love the book of Job, guys. And, um, but having heard this, having, having heard her preach once before, this is a message that is going to be good for all of us uh, to sit in. Um, and so, Whitney, we're really grateful for you and your gifts and how you share them always, but to this morning as well. So we're going to bring up just a couple of different verses from the book that, um, that we'll read together. And let's pay attention now to God's word to us all today. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that at the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, then in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see on my side, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, friends. I have never been accused of not being peppy, so we are definitely going to have a little pep in our step this morning uh, as we talk about Job. And, you know, nothing says Happy Fourth of July quite like the book of Job. It's just great. And when I took on this preaching assignment, I... I already knew this was kind of a ridiculous thing for me to take on because this is, for many of us, summer is kind of when you slow down, take it easy. For the youth pastor, not so much. A week ago, we got back from taking 30 kids on a mission trip to 30 middle schoolers on a mission trip to Oklahoma City. We leave a week from today to take high school students to camp. I'm five months pregnant. And I just thought, why not? Oh, yeah. And I thought, why not, why not preach three sermons on the book of Job? No problem. Let's just do that. So, and I have to tell you, this has been the hardest preaching assignment I've been given. It's been the hardest. And, and for a few reasons, it's not because of talking about the suffering. That part is not hard for me. It's hard because there are parts of this book that are really hard to understand why God moves in a certain way and, and why he acts in a certain way. I think that I, 51 weeks out of the year, I'm a congregant. And it's easy for us sitting out there to think whoever stands up here has 
a full understanding of whatever it is they're preaching on. That we think, oh yeah, they know all of this and they fully get it all. And what you need to know is that is actually not the case today. There is a lot of this that I'm still figuring out. There's a lot of this that if somebody said, why, why did God allow that? My answer to them would be, I don't know. Which I often think is the appropriate response when we're facing suffering. A lot of times, we just don't know. So that's where we're headed today. Um, before we jump into things, let's take a second and just pray. God, we uh, thank you today for your word. God, the parts that are hard to understand, we thank you for. Lord, I confess that I so easily try to make you fit into a formula. Lord, that I so easily try to say you are this way or that way, yet when I am faced with the book of Job, all of those things blow up. And Lord, I am reminded that you are unknowable and unpredictable, and that that is good. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to understand the scripture, that you would help me to communicate what it is you've taught me through this book. God, for our friends who are sitting in this congregation who are facing a season, a long season for many of suffering. God, for those that when they hear Job's story will empathize with him understanding his sufferings. Lord, I ask today that your spirit would tenderly be with their hearts. Lord, that we would journey through this um, together. In your name I pray, amen. So I grew up in the church and I thought I was familiar with the book of Job until I recently reread the book of Job and I was like, oh, there's some parts in here that I, that I didn't remember. So we're actually gonna start the morning off by me just retelling the story of Job. Uh, so that way we can get kind of familiar with it. Thomas mentioned it's the oldest book in the Bible and it's written as a poem and it's actually really a dramatic book. We are introduced to Job. We are told he is the wealthiest man in all the land, that Job has cattle, camels, sheep, a ton of servants. Job has many children. He's very successful, but more than anything, we're told that Job is a righteous man. He is seen as a man who has always been faithful to God and has never cursed God. We go, so, so we kind of have Job set up for us as kind of like goals. We want to be like Job. We are then taken in the next scene to the, to the heavenly courts where we encounter God. God is approached by Satan. God says, Satan, what have you been doing? Satan says, ah, I've been patrolling the earth. God says, have you noticed my servant Job? Satan says, yeah, I've noticed him. I've noticed him. God says, have you noticed that, Satan, have you noticed that Job has always been faithful to me, no matter what? He's been faithful and he's never cursed me. Satan says, yeah, I've noticed that, but listen, it's because you have a hedge of protection around him. Job has never had to face anything difficult. Anyone in that circumstance would be faithful to you, but take away that hedge and let me get after him, and then let's see if he's faithful. God says, okay, you can get after him, but don't lay a finger on him, don't touch him. So just a quick time out. Remember when I told you there's parts of this book that are hard for me to understand? This interaction is one of them. If you were to ask me, why does God act this way? My response is, I don't know. I don't know. If it's hard for you, just know it's hard for me too. 
we are transformed, transferred back to Job. We see that, that Job is in one place, his family is in another place, his children are in another place, and suddenly a servant runs into Job's home and says, Job, 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 something terrible has happened. All of your sheep have been destroyed and all the shepherds with them. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Scripture says as that servant is speaking, a second servant runs in, Job, 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 something terrible has happened. All of your cattle has been destroyed and all the shepherds with it. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. As servant two is talking, servant three runs in, Job, 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 something awful's happened. All of your camels and all of your servants and shepherds have been destroyed. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And as servant three is talking, servant number four runs in with the worst news of all. Job, Job, Job. All of your children were feasting at your oldest son's house when a wind came knocking your home down, killing all of them and everyone inside. I'm the only one to escape. I had to come and tell you. Now, friends, that is a bad day. Job has just lost his income, his identity, his wealth, his children, his heirs, all of it gone in one fell swoop. Scripture tells us that Job responds, this is what we read, that Job responds by doing this. He tears his robe, he falls to his knees, he worships God saying, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Scripture tells us in all this, Job did not sin by cursing God. We find ourselves back in the heavenly courts. God is approached by Satan. Satan, what have you been doing? I've been patrolling the earth. Ah, have you noticed my servant Job? Yes, I've noticed Job. Have you noticed that even after you took all his things away, all the people he loved away, that he still stayed faithful to me, that he did not curse me? Satan says, yes, I noticed, but Job still has his health. Let me get after his health and then let's see. Let's see if Job stays faithful. And God says, okay, you can get after his health, but don't kill him. So just a quick time out. Remember when I told you there are parts of this story that are really hard for me? This interaction's one of them. This is hard stuff, y'all. And my answer is, I don't know. We get back to Job, who has just lost everything, and now we're told that Job is covered head to toe in boils. In the minimum amount of research that I did on this, because I got queasy really quick looking this up, uh, he would have been covered head to toe, in wounds that would be open, oozing, smelly, itchy, and incredibly painful. Job would not have been able to find a position where he would have been comfortable. He would not be able to find relief or rest. Job is in the depths of grief, and he can't even escape it by sleeping. He is in the pit, in the bottom of a pit, It's so bad that Job's wife tells him to curse God and die. Not helpful, Mrs. Job, not helpful. (laughs) We're told that three of Job's friends journey because they've heard of all the stuff that Job has been through and they want to come see him. And when they see him, the sight of him causes them to experience grief. He is miserable and they themselves are miserable when they see him. Now, his friends get a really bad rap, and we'll get there. His friends aren't the greatest friends later, but they start strong, and here's what happens. His friends show up, 
His friends sit with him in silence and in grief for a week, showing incredible compassion and empathy and care. There is something we can learn from that. But after a week, his friends, as many of us would do, tire of Job's negative Nancy. I mean, he's just, they just get tired of it. They're ready for Job to rally. Come on, Job, let's see the bright side of this. His friends begin telling him that they, they're really convinced that this has all happened to Job because Job sinned and that God's punishing him. Now, Job knows that's not how God works, so Job is t- having none of that. No, 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 that is not how God works. His friends begin talking to him and telling him things about God, but we see that Job begins crying out to God. This is an important distinction here. His friends talk about God, but Job cries out to God. Job cries out to God for sleep, for rest. Job cries out to God for death. Job cries out to God for he's angry. Job has questions. He has doubts. He's wondering where God is. He cries out for healing. Job cries out in surrender. Job cries out in worship, trusting in God. We see him go through this whole litany. It's beautiful. Finally, in chapter 38, God shows up. And I have to tell you that God shows up, and, and I, I've read the book, and I still wanted God to show up in a way that is different than how God shows up. I wanted God to show up with great compassion and kindness, but that is not how God shows up. God shows up reminding Job that God is giant and massive, and that Job has no business questioning what God is doing. God looks at Job and says, where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, Job? Where were you when I knit you together in your mother's womb? Where were you when I put the stars in the sky, when I set the planets in motion, when I put the waters on the earth, when I created the Leviathan, Job, where were you? Job's heart is filled with humility, reminded of how great his God is. Job responds with repentance, asking for forgiveness, God forgives Job, God gets after Job's friends because they have spoken about God in a way that wasn't true, and God restores Job. We see that God restores Job's health, God restores Job's wealth, and God restores Job's family. He gives him many more children. We learn that his, his daughters were the most beautiful in all the land. We learn that Job lives a long life and dies at a ripe old age. The book of Job is really hard, friends. And as I was searching for my angle and how I was gonna preach on this, I actually found myself like crying in John Wasson's office, which if you've found yourself there, that's always a party. So I'm crying in John Wasson's office, and here's why. Because when I preach, when I preach about God, I like to talk about God's kindness and compassion and gentleness and father heart And that's really hard to find in the book of Job. It's really hard to find, and I I could not make it fit no matter how hard I tried. So I was just crying, And, and John looked at me and said, Whitney, use that, use that tension. Use that tension. So I began asking the Lord what he was teaching me in this. And I was reminded that it is easy for me to put God kind of into a box or a formula, to say that God is this way or this way, 
to think that he is predictable or knowable, that he's someone that I can anticipate how he will move, and the book of Job blows that right up. Because, and and not just the book of Job, all of scripture blows that right up because we will see in scripture that we should not be surprised when we are surprised by God. And we see this all throughout scripture. When God uses people, we would never expect him to use. When God sends people on roads and paths, they would never choose or anticipate going down. Yet he does it for his glory and for our good. We see this when God chooses Moses, a murderer and someone with a stutter to lead the people out of Egypt. We see it when God uses Rahab, a prostitute, to hide the spies that would eventually lead the people into the land of Canaan. We see it when God chooses David, a lowly shepherd, a child, to become the king of Israel. We see it when God says he's going to send a Messiah and he sends a carpenter who dies a criminal's death to save and redeem all of humanity. God surprises us and we shouldn't be surprised by that. One of the biggest surprises we can see throughout scripture is the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist from utero knew that Christ was the Messiah. John, it's scripture tells us that John the Baptist, while he was in his mother's womb, when he encountered Mary who was pregnant with Jesus, he leapt within his mother's womb knowing that he was in the presence of God. John spent his entire life preparing the way for Jesus. He baptized him. He heard the voice of God say, this is my son with whom I am pleased. Yet John finds himself in prison. And he's looking for his redeemer. He's looking for his rescuer and cannot find him. John begins to wonder, is he the one? There's a moment with John the Baptist here that I love Because friends, many of us have found ourselves in a place like that where we are looking and we begin wondering, are you the one? John sends his disciples with that very question, asking Jesus, are you the one or should we be looking for another? Christ's response is quite surprising. Jesus says, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. But he goes on to say, blessed is he who does not fall away on account of me. Jesus knew that God's path was often difficult, was often surprising, and Jesus himself faced this when he found himself in the garden, saying, please take this cup from me. We should not be surprised when we are surprised by God. The second thing that I was reminded of, and this one's a little more encouraging, is this, is that God hears Job and God shows up. Job cries out to God, and God shows up. And this, again, friends, is not something that we only see in the book of Job. We see this all throughout Scripture, that God promises to be with us in the midst of our greatest joys and in the midst of our greatest sorrows. We see it in Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you. We see it in Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. In Isaiah 43, God says, when you walk through fire, you will not be consumed. When you go through floodwaters, you will not drown, for I am with you. Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. God hears us and shows up time and time and time again. And we know this because we see it all throughout scripture. 
The third thing that I was reminded of from the book of Job is this, is that suffering is not the end of our stories. It, it wasn't for Job, but hear me when I say this, even if Job had died in the midst of his greatest suffering, it still would not be the end of his story. And why, why? Because the scripture we read, Job cries out for a redeemer. God hears the cry of his heart and of the people and sends Christ. And because of Christ and what Christ did on the cross, on your behalf and on mine, suffering no longer has the final word. Because he has come and he has given us life eternal. He has taken all that is broken and has made it new and whole again. And there is a reason to hope. God saw that suffering would mark the human experience that each of us would face suffering. But God faithfully promises that suffering is not the end of our story. And that it's not for nothing. That he's doing something in it. We see this, we see this all the time, and we see it in Romans 5 when we're told that suffering produces hope in us. We see it in James 1, we are told to consider it pure joy when we face trials, because suffering produces in us a perseverance. We see it in Philippians 4, when Paul cries out that he might share in the sufferings of Christ. God is doing something in it. And for that we can hope, and for that we can trust because suffering is not the end of our story. And why, why? All because of Jesus, all because of the cross. Today, we're gonna close this little time by responding um, in a different way than we normally do. We're gonna play a video in a second. And this video um, has a song that means a lot to me. The words from this song are from the books of Job and Hosea. And during the song, there's an excerpt from a sermon by a man named John Piper. And the sermon is about the truth that suffering is not the end. And that we can trust that God's doing something in the midst of our suffering. This is a really personal song for me. I mentioned that I'm pregnant, but friends, I want you to know that this has been a long road for, for myself and for my husband. It's been a road marked with pain and with loss and with sorrow and with fear and with loneliness. And it was after I experienced a miscarriage that I came across this song. And God ministered so deeply to me in the midst of my greatest sorrow of my life through this. The truth that though we walk through suffering, because that is not the end of our story, we can praise him is what this song is about. So I pray that as we watch this video and hear these words, that your heart might receive what God has for you today.